Good eye, and welcome to Second Cherry, almost a Eurovision podcast. <laughs> Here we are again, appropriating a country's uh, language. And uh, anyway, I'm not sure that was cultural appropriation. It was just cultural yeah. pillage. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible Australian accent, and uh, apologies for that. But it's a clue to where we're going tonight. <laughs> was well, it really? Yes, it is. Okay, we are taking you as further than you have ever been before on a Eurovision podcast. On this Eurovision podcast, at least. There are other Eurovision podcasts that take you that far. <laughs> but this one is... So I'm Matt. And I'm Monty. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So, Australia. Australia, yeah. What to say about Australia? Anything, as long as it's not in a terrible accent like I tried earlier. <laughs> well, indeed, we are looking at Australia tonight at Second Cherry. Their debut entry in Second Cherry, because this is the first time that they've ever had a national final. Of course. So the first time we would have ever been able to pick a cherry for them. Although, of course, we did. Uh, three of their entries came in years where we, we we were taking a break from cherry. But we're back. And here we are with Australia. So really, I mean, the first question is, you know, why are Australia even in second cherry? Oh, God. I'm so <laughs> sick of having to explain this and I get angry. So do you want to take this one and I'll just chime in after? Oh, really? No? Okay. So, uh, like, get over it. That's, that is my whole attitude towards it. Get over it. Australia are here. They uh, are completely buy in to what Eurovision is all about. They have demonstrated their culture at Eurovision on more than one occasion. They are culturally linked to Europe in lots of different ways. And if you're going to have a problem with Australia, then you've got to have a problem with... Israel, Azerbaijan, Armenia, blah, 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 blah. you know, just, I don't get it. You're here, you're welcome here. Everybody else who doesn't think they should be here, just piss off. <laughs> I will just do devil's advocate on that because okay. some of the countries you mentioned, uh, Armenia, Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. they at least are geographically, partially in Europe. But of course, as we all know, Eurovision is not restricted to the continent of Europe. It is the European Broadcasting Union. And of course, Australia does fall outside of that as well in terms of the broadcasting zone. But you're absolutely right. You know, they're here, they were invited, more of that in a bit. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, you know, here they are. And I think they're bringing bags of enthusiasm and some fantastic entries. So, yeah. Have you yeah. seen the fans? Absolutely. The, the fans that travel from Australia, they completely, yeah, you're welcome. That's it. Nothing, no more to say on that. <laughs> but I just wondered, that, I mean, it, it, with us, with Eurovision expanding um, in recent years, especially, you know, including somewhere as disparate, really, as Australia, I mean, where's the limit? That is a question, and that's where it gets a little bit grey, because um, you can't say if, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to get political, but if Kosovo or countries or Luxembourg, you know, it, when you talk about growing the contest, the, those countries you would imagine if they could come back to Eurovision, mm. of course they would do. Why wouldn't they be invited or, you know, welcome? So in terms of growing the actual contest, it's not a problem for me, but I can see why, what if China wanted to get involved? And, mm. you know, you'd, you'd, I suppose it's a case-by-case basis and yeah. how, how they are going to treat, you know. The EBU do have a, a limit. I couldn't find this when I was researching uh, this afternoon, but uh, there is a limit as to how many countries that they will allow to participate in any one entry, in any one contest. I think it might be 46. Right. Um, so we still, you know, got a bit of wriggle room there. 
But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there has to be a limit. I think, you know, trying to just cram more and more countries in is not really workable, I think, in the long term. But having said that, we're very, very welcome that Australia is in. And of course, if Australia win, it will be hosted somewhere in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've heard different things, haven't we? We've yes. heard so, and they, all of them make a lot of sense. So I'm told that there is... Uh, the strongest link with the Australian broadcaster SBS is with um, the German mm-hmm. broadcaster. So it could be held in Germany if, if Australia win. It was strongly rumoured when they entered for the first time that if they did win it, there was a real chance they could that yeah. year, um, that it would have been held in Germany. Yeah. But it's also been linked with the BBC and linked with other broadcasters as well. SVT, so. we know they can put on a Eurovision mm-hmm. at the top of a hat. Yeah. Yeah, so... But it definitely wouldn't be held in Australia. That's that's one thing we do know. Which is a bit of a shame, really, because, you know, having a nice little trip down to the Gold Coast would be quite jolly. Yeah. But the time difference for, you know, to get it live going out in Europe so you could have the televote live would be, um, yeah, just be, too much. It's really. too disruptive. Yeah, yeah, far too disruptive. I mean, if you, you know, you think that starting at midnight in Azerbaijan is a problem, then, you know, starting at five in the morning <laughs> is a, a little bit, a well, step too far, I think. But that's when we get started normally, so... <laughs> Speak for yourself. Mm. <laughs> so Australia has had five entrants in Eurovision, but they've actually got a string of um, uh, Australian contestants who've been in the contest before that. Not obviously representing Australia, but part of other acts, including a couple for the UK. So Olivia Newton-John yeah. in 1974, Gina G in 1996. Fun fact yeah. about Gina G. I lo- love that song so much. It, that little opener, like that. That's, Sorry, I didn't catch that. Can no, do I'm not doing it again. That uh, <laughs> that uh, that is just enough. Gives you just enough time to tell your nan to be quiet, put your drink down on the table at your barbecue, mm-hmm. and then run to the dance floor and have a little dance. It's this just is enough you've done time. Before, isn't yeah, it? absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see you doing that. <laughs> Nana's Gina G. <laughs> and of course, uh, one of the Eurovision winners, Johnny Logan, born in Australia, represented yeah. Ireland. So, yeah, a very proud history of their uh, participation by um, Australians. But 2015 was the first year that they formally took part as a contestant. Now, of course, we had the year before that, Jessica Marlboy, um as the Interval Act. And the year before that, actually in 2013, Australia were in as a little video segment. So it felt, if you look back now, it kind of could feel as if they, you know, we were being primed for them. We were being warmed up for them, perhaps. Yeah, we absolutely were. (laughs) But the official entrant uh, for the first time in 2015, and the reason that was given for that was they were invited to the 50, no, the 60th um, edition of the contest. And it seemed like a nice idea. Um they're kind of like you know the guests that won't leave (laughs) as we said we're very very happy with that we're really happy to have Australia in Eurovision and for the first time Australia in Second Cherry as well so I mean there's only a few entrants to look back on so should we just have a quick um, dash through them all yeah yeah so tonight again Guy Sebastian the first one yeah great little pop song yeah Um, fifth place in their debut not bad eh and really slick he came on I I heard that his rehearsing was just you know like an utter professional he knew Mm. exactly what he was doing 
I met him at the London party that year, and yeah, he you could just tell he was like he was there to do a job, yeah, and you know he knew exactly what needed to be done. He was very friendly, very mm. lovely, um, but you know he very very professional, yeah, with the setup. And of course, he was one of the you know big names in Australia at the time, won sure. the talent competition. Um, and I think that's something you know there is a lot of talent competition entrants um, have come through in the Australian entrant participants. But it does feel as though they're putting people who have currency still in the local markets. So the second entrant was Danny Im, yeah. uh, also from a talent show with uh, Sound of Silence. And this came second, this came it? Second, oh, what to say. She she came with a following as well, like Dami Army. She's got an army of people that, you know, like Gaga and stuff like that. She was very popular with the Australians. She brought Sound of Silence to Eurovision and almost won. Yeah. I mean, Jamala was the only the only person that could beat her. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a brilliant performance. Everything from the vocal was st- stupidly good, and actually, the when you actually break down the uh, stage in and everything was just on point. It was they really got it right. I loved the staging actually. I loved that kind of feeling of um, the. It felt to me kind of like you know sort of Japanese or Korean tech. Um, you know, kind of the, being very technology driven markets and technology being very popular in those markets it felt like it was a really good thing to bring that into the performance and the sort of the graphics that they had on stage are kind of sliding some of the graphics around that were superimposed yeah I think it looked really really good on screen there was real thought gone into that because there was different colours used during the chorus and then there was like an upward movement and you know it had that sort of uplifting and they really thought about it, it was very very good yeah um, and I feel a bit sorry for her because at the end she was trying to show how happy she was that she came second but clearly crying because she came so close to winning mm-hmm. I would have her back oh, at Eurovision I think in a heartbeat hundreds of people that would have her back at Eurovision I'd have her back as well she'd be a great uh, returning contestant um, Isaiah was the next one uh, Don't Come Easy yeah <laughs> uh, yeah great um, great vocalist <laughs> your own jokes well. yeah. <laughs> he's a good vocalist actually um, the song I think just didn't have a bit of X factor about it. it. It was just missing something. But um, I quite liked the performance. So that's the year they had that enormous big projection on the back, and there was that projection of them kind of sort of you know walking around on the plinth. And I just thought it was really quite visually arresting. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they done. They that, done. They they did get the most out of that though. There was that note that he didn't quite get though, and yeah, ninth place was a bit of a disappointment, really. Yeah, I think relatively. Yeah. yeah, imagine if ninth place was the worst that you'd done to that time oh, in your Eurovision history. <laughs> but speaking of a worst place, Jessica Marboy, <laughs> she was back as a contestant the following year with We Got Love, dressed up like the purple one out of the Quality Street. <laughs> <laughs> I the, the the one common thing I think everybody says about this performance was that she p- performed to the crowd and not to the camera. She wasn't performing and delivering that performance to the people who are going to be voting for her. And I think vocally it was, oh, she can sing and it's just so frustrating. Maybe it was, I don't know what it was, but there was something not right. She can sing. She's an incredible artist. There was a, it was a bit iffy at times, but she 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 was performing to the crowd, not the, the camera. Yeah. Now, which is not, 
necessarily a bad thing no. as long as you pull it off. Um, but I don't think it worked. I think she was also on her own on stage. I was so surprised they didn't put backing singers or dancers. Yeah. Did. Especially because the title of the song is We Got Love. And then she's on the stage as a solo performer. It just doesn't seem to add up for me. She was adorable. Mm. I met her also at the London party and again in Lisbon. And she was just an absolute delight to be around. But yeah, what a shame she didn't pull that performance off. But back to this year, we've just had Zero Gravity from Kate Miller-Heitke. And talk about nailing a performance as opposed to not nailing a performance. Wow. Yeah, they, the way, this is what I like about Australia. They took an already very good concept from the national final and then zhuzhed it up, but zhuzhed it up in the most incredible way. That performance was stunning. Was it ever zhuzhed? My goodness, yeah. it was fantastic. It's, and you know what, in Tel Aviv, it's the only one that I went and watched live, apart from the UK, it's the only one that I went and watched in the rehearsal because I needed to see it up close and personal. Arena. Yeah, in the arena, yeah. I needed to see it. This, uh, yeah, and it was just as stunning. Even though you could see, like, you know, all the things you know, see, but, all the workings yeah. of it all it was still incredible she was so high up people don't realise that mm-hmm. they wheeled her out already on it she was very high up she delivered the vocal choreography everything going everything going on and she nailed it she's very good I mean you look at it and it's absolutely stunning but when I think about all of the elements that are involved in that I mean I am terrified of heights since I did a hot air balloon ride coincidentally in Australia (laughs) but I just you know to be up on that plane it is so effective as a visual um um demonstration there's a visual presentation i remember the first time i saw that pole movement done and that was by madonna in um her rebel heart tour that's right and i saw her at the o2 in london and she had dancers like you know on poles at strategic positions around the arena and it looked stunning and just you know the sheer you know the death defyingness of it mm. it was amazing so to bring see that brought into eurovision i knew that that was going to be a big effect i know a lot of people before in the build up to the contest you know really go oh it's not that great a song she's not you know it's not that great performance they didn't like the big dress and the big dress has been done so many times which i agree with but you know get rid of the big dress put her on the plinth as well and just amplify the things that work well about that presentation and it was just off the scale yeah really off the scale I was convinced she was going to win it I was at one point I was like bloody hell yeah yeah well you know and uh, Kate was another big name you know somebody with a number of albums behind her um, in Australia uh, like the um, other artists as well and I think there's been a real diversity of artists as well from Australia when you look at sort of you know the background of some of the artists that they've had to represent them it feels like it's a good modern representation of, of Australia absolutely today. yeah you know, it really the is. diversity that it it feels like it's uh, it's known for so that's a little potted history of Australia at Eurovision for you let's turn our attention now to this year's Australian national final So the first ever Australian national final, Australia Decides, Gold Coast 2019, took place this year. Uh, the hosts were Miff Warhurst and Joel Creasy, uh, who I think did a quite a good job. I mean, you know, he was a campo Nancy, but we quite like a campo Nancy. Yeah, <laughs> they hit the right register, didn't they? Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, look at this silly programme. They took it seriously. 
but, but they made it for the they local made it fun, audience. You know, well, yeah, yeah, they they yeah. they nailed it actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's a format which had a fifty-fifty jury split. Um, there were five people on the jury, including Krista Bjorkman and the Australian head of delegation Paul Clark. Not sure what that says about having a head of delegation selecting uh, the song. I think it maybe should have been independent jurors, but nonetheless, that's what it was. And there was a strange. Um, a breakdown of the televotes. So essentially because the jury were five people and they gave out 12, 10, 8, etc. In total between them, they gave 290 points. So the totals that everybody scored in the televote were then divided by 290 to get an equivalent number of points yeah. to make it a 50-50 split. So it was a slightly strange um, setup there. But um, yeah, we had 10 songs. Um, again, some quite well-known names in there and some lesser-known names for the local market. So we're going to pick out some highlights and uh, we are going to go through them in running order, but we're not necessarily going to be discussing each of the entrants. So kicking us off is a song called Data Dust by Ella Hooper. So, Ella and Data Dust, it's a standard rock number, really, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's, um, she, I think she's known for this music, so this was expected, I think. So, I like that, because when you try and shoehorn an artist into a song or a genre, it never, you know, it very rarely works. So, good that she was doing a song that you would imagine she would release as a single. I think the vocal was pretty good. I think she owned the stage, she gave us everything that we wanted I wouldn't say it was filler or bland but it was missing something for me who was going to vote for it or who would have voted for it was quite a small demographic I think but a really strong national final song I think yeah I think so it was a competent example of its genre and I I agree with you you know do what you do do what you're good at rather than try to shoehorn something else in she was quite exuberant Mm. writhing around at some points and she was wearing a cat suit which was um well it's quite an interesting garment <laughs> uh, it seemed to uh, reveal more than it actually did um seemed to be quite see-through in places but i think it was just the effect of it um but yeah quite revealing and yeah i rock chick nice competent performance a good opener yeah to the show solid yeah unfortunately she came 10th yeah it's a shame so, really yeah maybe not that well received by the local audience. Um, next one is Song 2, 2000 and Whatever by Electric Fields. I do. I can't remember if I've said this before, but this is truth now. Possibly 
Yeah, my favourite song of the whole of 2019. Wow, that's a good um, national final. Yeah, actually, it is. It's the mm. one I listen to the most. Um, it's on the playlist of all the others that I've stayed on my playlist. It's right there. I still listen to it now. I love it. Why so? so? What about so, the appeals? I love the group. They're so, so unique in that it's a cultural showcase. Well, this song is especially, I think, for a number of reasons. If you look at the two guys that make up Electric Fields, they are both from the LGBT plus family. Mm-hmm. And Zachariah is has you know aboriginal heritage which he demonstrates with this song in this song and on stage from his movement in the performance from the actual speaking of the his aboriginal language and i just like this sort of juxtaposition of lgbt indigenous um, people displaying their culture in this kind of mashup and the song is also got this millennial vibe it's a celebration of millennials and um, celebrating who you are I just think it's everything's going for it the only one downside I have about this performance was that vocally they were a little bit naive I think in the live performance and it was a little bit off in places but I, I was with them all the way I was with them all the way I, I love them I'm totally with you on the song I mean I absolutely love this I think for me it's definitely you know one of if not the song of the national final season for me as well and I really like you know the fact that they were bringing elements of their of their own culture into the performance I think the performance is is not the best of the night but I think it it felt as though you know this was a group that hasn't really had much TV performance experience whereas some of the artists in there clearly had had a lot of stage and a lot of uh, television um, experience so I think it sort of it showed the the limitations um, performance wise Um, but they also they released the, the rehearsal clips of the national final the day before on YouTube and actually it improved so much between the rehearsal and the national final performance but this is a song that you know really familiarise yourself with this song on audio because I think the audio version of this is just superb and absolutely up there with me and also the first time that we've seen the language that I'm not even going to try and pronounce the name of <laughs> sorry uh, <laughs> you're a step too far for my um, you know cultural uh, misappropriation um, but it's nice to see that you know new languages coming in on stage absolutely. as well you know I mean for a, uh, for a contest that has uh, spanned so many different countries and so many different cultures it's really nice to see something that's truly innovative um, you know within the the wider um, Eurovision circle and this meant something to Australia and yes. Australia it yes. really did it, yeah. it's it's what for me it's what Eurovision's all about there's so many elements to this that you just it's what on. modern Eurovision's about yeah. for me or what I'd like it to be about you know showcasing you know good contemporary songs like this that is not necessarily the you know the, the traditional well, what we think of as the traditional Eurovision genre yeah um, you know that's not to say I don't love a schlager banger I absolutely do and that was one of the things that made me fall in love with Eurovision but having something like this which is just presenting a completely different completely fresh take on what can be a Eurovision song I just absolutely adore it for that yeah so moving on um, we're going to talk uh, also about song three this is not the end by Mark Vincent there'll be another day The sun will come up, tomorrow starts again. 
this is not the end, sang Mark. Unfortunately, it was. <laughs> he only came seventh. Didn't progress any further. Um, but this is, a, I mean, this is as old-fashioned as you like. Talk about a contrast between electric fields and, and this. I mean, it's chalk and cheese. This is Eurovision of old. It's the, the classic sort of central European ballad that could be said by any country yeah. in any year since about 1963. <laughs> yeah, I think he's got a following in Australia. I think, again, when he, he was announced... Um, a lot of people in Australia said, "Yeah, you know, we know him. He was uh, he, he won Australia Got Talent, and yeah, but same. I, I in my notes, I just put is you know this is like referencing a a Balkan ballad. Really, it's a it's a, a tenor singer who can sing pretty much anything, probably because he's a you know a professional singer. But just the song itself was yeah a bit um, bland. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah." Uh, and talking of bland we're going to skip over song four as well uh, save to mention that if you like a floppy twink a floppy head twink <laughs> I should say <laughs> and we know some of you out there do some of you on the second cherry team do <laughs> uh, go and have a look at Aiden um, singing whatever it was he sang he sang dust. he sang no let's, let's, let's be fair he sang dust um, and the song is dust to me to be yeah it's kind of sort of flopped around the stage and yeah yeah let's move on let's skip over him in favour of song five which was by an artist that many people for for many people this would have been the biggest artist that they'd heard of um, going into uh, this national final it's Courtney Act with Fight for Love So Courtney Act there, uh, a drag queen who um, many people will know from RuPaul's Drag Race. And also uh, British viewers will know her from being in Celebrity Big Brother as well, making quite a splash on, on that. Yeah, but also Australians would know from she won Idol. Is it Australian Idol? Or Did she was, win or was she... Or she was... Uh, because the RuPaul's Drag Race series she was in also had an Idol winner. If, with um, uh, Adore Delano I'm sure I'm not on that Monty's just checking that while, while I'm talking but I'm sure because they had like they made a big deal of this like two winners of this idol singing thing but so well known to Australians you know well known to Americans and you know we in the UK I suppose and the, in Ireland is known so this was a wise choice actually to, to put Courtney Act into this national final I think it had all the ingredients that you need You've got the big star. You've got the visual because the performance was what you would expect. And also, you know, Australia are going to use that up when they get to Tel Aviv. So there was something there for that. Something to be said for that. But it's just the song itself was lacking. It, as I said, it would have got a revamp. But visually, the song itself, that's the only thing that let it down, really. Courtney Act is a, is a, is a competent, good singer, but not a great singer. And I think ultimately that was what the downside was to this and why it didn't do better. So I have been checking, yes, and Courtney Act wasn't the winner of the first series of uh, of Australian Idol. And the first winner was uh, Guy Sebastian. That's right. But Courtney Act was in and that's how she became known 
uh, became, how she became prominent um, in Australia. I just, I really like this. I don't think the song was as good as it could have been, but I think she made the very best of what she had to work with. And performance-wise, I mean, this is... This is Eurovision. This is what people expect from Eurovision. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, when we were coming to have a think about what should be in um, Second Cherry, this is something that ticks all of the Second Cherry boxes, really. I think, you know, she was uh, visually quite stunning in that red outfit, you know, with a dance routine that just, it, it just, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. I really liked it. I thought the song was quite underwhelming when I first heard it but I think by the time it got to the national final she'd really polished it she'd really polished it yeah I, I yeah ultimately though you know you, the, the the main ingredient is the song so all the fluff around it not that it was fluff she went hard for that she yeah. looked great as you said the performance was good there's lots of elements to it but yeah ultimately you need the song to back up all of that stuff she had some performance dates elsewhere on her website on Eurovision night. She was performing somewhere. Um, and I think that those dates were still in the diary, even when she did uh, Australia Decide. So maybe she didn't have confidence <laughs> <laughs> that she was going to to advance. But yeah, the next song that we, we're going to skip over uh, song six, Set Me Free. It was a bit, well, neither that was summit really, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. We're going to talk about song seven, which was called On My Way by Shepherd. So Shepherd were probably the biggest name in terms of serious music before the uh, before the Australian final. They'd had an enormous worldwide hit with a song called Geronimo. And so a lot of attention was on Shepherd and the assumption was that they were one, certainly one of the heavy favourites. They were leading into the competition because they had the most views on YouTube. Now, that was kind of to be expected, I suppose, because, you know, I think you, you can't equate YouTube views to how well people do in the national finals and Eurovision and stuff. But, yeah, it was definitely one of the favourites going in. I think, again, the song, nothing is exceptional, but equally everything is good. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's like it's a very almost, almost there with it. You know, it was uplifting. Oh, was it uplifting enough? Did they perform well? Yes. And some of the VTs actually they showed, some of the videos they showed of them sort of like riding the, the roller coaster, the little throwaway yeah. things they did for the National Fund. Well, that's really nice. You know, they seem like really nice people and just, I think that helped, helped them. Um, but but that's it really. It, and it wasn't a vote grabber for me. No, it wasn't quite a gro- vote grabber for me either. And it did, it left me a little bit cold. I mean, it's a really nice up-tempo, um, up beat uplifting song and I think they performed it with real energy mm. um, they looked a little bit quirky as well on stage so I think that was appealing to you know a big demographic there but yeah just something that was a little bit short I think for having been the the, the name that everybody said we needed to look out for just fell a little bit short yeah 
But I came third. Yeah, but great, great song, so, great you pop know, song. Uh, you know, it did really, really well. We're going to skip over the rest of the songs, really. I mean, a, a little mention for Alfie R. Curie, uh, song eight to myself, just because he looked like a sort of muscly George Michael, really. He did. And he was all so- arms and... <laughs> To be fair, yeah, we're not going to play this song, but he he can sing, he can perform, because I believed it, mm-hmm. you know, once I stopped looking at his arms. I don't mean to objectify him, but I'm just, once I could pull myself away from his arms, he, he, he can f- perform that song. Mm, yeah, but it just wasn't very interesting. It, yeah, it just wasn't yeah. going anywhere, really. Song nine was Zero Gravity by Kate Manheidke. We've already discussed that, and of course she's not in contention, because she went to Eurovision, which leaves one song, Piece of Me, Tanya Doko. And do you know what? We're not going to play you this either because it's a bit dull as well. Yeah. For me, she, she came eighth, didn't she? Yeah, it was the kind of song that, you know, when it comes on in last place after a stunning performance like Kate and Heidke delivered, it's the kind of song that you're going, oh, it's the last song. So you're starting to top your scores up already. You're not really interested. And I think this is something which happens at Eurovision. It, people say last place is like a really good place to be in the running order. I don't think it is because I think people know this is the last one and unless you grab somebody's attention right at the start and sadly this didn't you kind of lose them yeah what you need is the favourite to go last in order for people to be waiting to see whether but you know I don't think she was the favourite, bless no, her. I don't think she was, bless her. So that's the 10 songs in the first edition of your, uh, of what's it called? <laughs> Australia Decides yeah. Gold Coast 2019. So which of these have we chosen to give a second cherry chance to? So, what's made the cut? Well, I think... We discussed this as a team. A couple of us put very strong opinions across. There were counter opinions, but I think ultimately we decided that when some when you've got a very strong opinion, it's worth listening to. And so I think there were votes I think going elsewhere. I think we did was it unanimous in the end? But I mean, it was it was like a it was a holistic approach. I think is the word. <laughs> but what have we? It chosen? was a majority decision. A majority, yeah, yes. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So what? Who is it, Monty? Who? We well, <laughs> I think you know. In if this was second cherry five years ago, I don't think we'd have hesitated to put in Courtney Act. But for me and for you, Electric Fields was the standout song of the season. And that's the one that's been chosen to go in. And I know that wasn't actually a unanimous decision amongst the team. So I know I would like to thank the rest of the team for supporting that decision. Again, for me, it just has that real contemporary vibe and it's bringing something new. And I think this is a song that just couldn't be ignored this year. Yeah, absolutely. I can't be more of an advocate for a song. So yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure.
So there we go. Electric Fields of 2000 and whatever. That song will be added to the website under the 2019 entries page. If you want to go and listen to uh, that song, along with all of the others that we've selected so far. Um, now, we have mentioned as well, we're doing a live event at the RVT as part of Eurofest in November. And... Uh, Obviously, sometimes the podcast is recorded in advance. This is the first podcast that we've recorded since the tickets went on sale. And we sold out. We have. We sold out really quickly. We sold out unexpectedly quickly. Within hours. (laughs) Within hours. Literally, it was overnight. Um, So we know a few people have been disappointed by that. We are hopeful that we might be able to free up some more tickets. It's not our decision because it's not our night. It's the Eurofest's. Uh, teams night but we're going to see watch the website watch our social media uh, in case any more tickets can become available we're sorry to people who are disappointed not to be able to come and a number of you have let us know that that is the case so you know keep an eye on the social medias and if anything can happen we will uh, let you know those social medias are twitter at second cherry instagram at second underscore cherry and on facebook at second cherry podcast you can also get in touch with us via email if you want to drop us a line it is hello hello at secondcherry.vision you can drop us an email there thank you once again for listening and we'll be back next week and we're going to be discussing finland and we're going to have a special guest yes you'll find out who that is next week thanks for listening see you later bye bye